0: Hello, everyone. Today we will be doing a podcast on water pollution and the effects it has in our area. For today's podcast, I will be interviewing Dr. Kevin Seldner and Dr. Emily Brownlee. Uh, Dr. Seldner, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: So I was trained as a oceanographer, um, got my Ph.D. Um, back in 1978, so long before Jesse was here. <laughs> Um, and I went to work for the Academy of Natural Sciences, and from there, went to NOAA for a couple of years to um, focus on funding research on harmful algal blooms. Oh, wow. So y- you may know those as red tides. But uh, now that I'm living in, a, in inland, I study uh, algae that occur in the surface of fresh waters. They're called blue-green algae, or their real name is cyanobacteria.
2: Wow
0: impressive (laughs) and dr brownling what can you tell me about yourself
2: yes so i am a biological oceanographer and i got my phd from massachusetts institute of technology um, and the woods hole oceanographic institution in 2017 and i have am now an assistant professor of biology at saint Mary's college of maryland and so i study very similar things i study algae and I like to look at how algae change over time. So the amount, the abundances and the types of algae that we see. And I also like to study those algae that act also like animals. So they're kind of like Venus fly traps of water. Oh, so they can be awesome. plants and animals. Man, I got the
0: right people for this <laughs> podcast. You guys are both very impressive careers. So I guess my first question would be, um, in this area, we have, like, the Chesapeake Bay. You know, we, we're surrounded by water in Virginia and in Maryland. Um, what could you tell me has probably been the most impactful change that you have seen over the years?
1: So I'll go <clears throat> because you asked over the years. i have a few, <laughs> <coughs> few more years than uh, Emily. Uh, so uh, back in the late 70s, we realized that, in fact, the Chesapeake was uh, experiencing extreme low dissolved oxygen and Emily probably will talk about that a little bit more in a minute Um, and they the scientific community work backwards from that low dissolved oxygen in the bottom waters to what creates that and that turns out to be its nutrients primarily that come from the watershed so even though the problem appears in the bay Mm -hmm. the drivers for that problem are actually in the watershed so the Potomac the Susquehanna the James, all the tributaries, and all the little creeks and streams that feed into those uh, larger rivers. So uh, basically, it was a, a kind of a slap in the head that, in fact, we had to address land use mm-hmm. because land use governs uh, what comes in from the land yeah. to then be transported down bay in or down river into the bay to create the hypoxia.
0: Yeah, I mean land use definitely I, I mm. think that's something that um, a lot of people forget you know that they, they want to do something about the water pollution but they forget it's stretched from us right
1: absolutely
0: <laughs> and
2: yes yeah, so those dissolved those low dissolved oxygen zones what we're seeing that they're coming from are the algae in the water they need to eat are they mm. essentially and their food are the, these nutrients okay and so these nutrients come in, they cause these large algal blooms.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: When the algal blooms are kind of at the end of their life, they start to die. And there are other organisms like bacteria in the water that start to decompose or break down those algae. And this creates very low oxygen conditions.
0: So what does that do for like the animals in your area? Because we have, you know, water creatures and land creatures. like what does that do for our animals? right? You know, Mammal of animals.
2: So for one, some of the benthic organisms that like to live on the bottom where we see these very low oxygen conditions, they suffer things like our oysters. Mm-hmm. So, um, many regions where well, we've been trying to do a lot of oyster restoration, but you have to take into account these low oxygen regions and this that occur mostly in the summertime or at the end of the summer. Um, We see for certain types of fish, I can't remember what kinds are. For the striped bass, yeah. We're seeing that they can't, their their habitats are being kind of uh, squeezed a little bit. They can't go very low in the water because there's not enough oxygen down there. And then they can't go high enough because it actually gets a little bit too warm. And Mm -hmm. so I don't know if Dr. Selner wants to.
1: Well, once that happens, you squeeze organisms into a narrower and narrower uh, depth range. And therefore, um, they spend a lot of their energy just breathing. Okay. And the breathing, instead of going into tissue yeah. uh, you know, to make more larger fish, right. um, it actually goes into just maintaining themselves. so they're stressed it's like you running a mile right you know you breathe breathe hard you breathe hard but you're also then very susceptible to disease Uh because you're you've compromised your immune system okay so that you breathe 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 you can't put a lot of that energy into tissue because you're just breathing and then uh, you stress you're you're stressed and that leads to immunocompromised individuals You see striped bass with lesions you see you know fish with breathing difficulties gaping etc so so it's a big big problem
0: um what species do you think are being affected the most in our area
2: yeah i would say our oyster um, populations they have i mean over time declined because of over-harvesting, yeah. but they're also greatly affected by a lot of these conditions.
0: You know, especially like in this area, right? Maryland um, is known for crabs mm-hmm. and oysters, and we have the wharf in D.C. where we want to get our fish and our shrimp and all that stuff. So what does it do for, you know, us consumers when we want to eat all this stuff and want all this stuff? How does this affect that?
1: Well, uh, Dr. Brownlee is correct, is that the, the low-oxygen... <laughs> zones are actually increasing in depth and just through normal physical responses to changing wind patterns mm-hmm. that causes the, <clears throat> the low dissolved oxygen zones to tilt back and forth on the bottom of the bay right. so when it tilts it drives that low dissolved oxygen water up into these areas that are habitat for oysters and crabs mm-hmm. because they can't be deep
0: because mm-hmm. there's
1: no oxygen I see. but when the uh bottom waters tilt up onto the eastern or the western side of the bay, then those organisms that are presumably in oxygen-rich waters now get exposed Hmm. to low DO water. And one of the byproducts of low-dissolved oxygen is something called hydrogen sulfide. Mm -hmm. And that's that rotten egg smell. If you ever walk through a marsh um, and you smell uh, hydrogen sulfide, that's actually the most toxic natural poison there is. Oh, wow. So if you tilt the bottom waters up onto the flanks and it's late in the summer and there's been an accumulation of that hydrogen sulfide, the organisms not only can stop breathing, but they can be killed mm-hmm. by the hydrogen sulfide. So crab jubilees, when crabs are seen cr- crawling out of the water, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's because they're fleeing not only low dissolved oxygen, but sulfide. Because sulfide is so toxic. And so here poisonous. we are
0: recording say, Oh, look at the cute little crabs coming out the water. But that's not the case. <laughs> They're no. escaping. Yes. And so I think that's one of the things that um, our public doesn't know. You know, as someone who studies this, what is it that we can do to reduce our human activity? Or what is it that we can do with our land use to kind of reduce these pollutants and re- reduce this pollution?
2: I mean, I, I think reducing things like our impervious surfaces, which things are like our blacktops and our, um, hard, you know, driveways, things like that. This allows water to not soak into the ground below it. It all just kind of runs. Um, So it'll run towards our water sources. So that's bringing in any nutrients from, that are, you know, on those land sources. Um, you know, a lot of our... Uh, Fertilizer, so reducing the amount of, amount or types of fertilizers that are used
1: right. yeah and so <clears throat> by uh, the largest source of nutrients in the watershed is agriculture
0: mm.
1: we obviously need food production right but there are ways to grow food a little bit more responsibly mm. and uh, there's been a recent analysis of all the money that's been spent on the bay cleanup the sector that has been least successful is agriculture. Okay. And that's primarily because the agriculture repre- uh, uh, regulations are voluntary. Okay. There's no mandate. Oh, yeah. Whereas wastewater treatment plants, industry, yes. um, even development, um, they have requirements that they must meet to make sure that their runoff and, and therefore, those things that they would carry into the water during runoff are low. Mm. But agriculture is, we ask you to do it. We don't, you don't tell to. you right, to do it. Right, so, And I'm
0: sure if we have to use these, <clears throat> it, you know, the better ways to do it, it's going to be more expensive and more time-consuming, right? Is that why they don't do it? or
1: It is a little bit more expensive. But, for example, in Maryland, they get 100% of any... Best management practice they put on the land is given to them by the state. Oh. So they have incentives, yeah. Yeah. So financially, they're not in any difficulty. the yeah. the The issue might be, and some farmers claim that if I have to give up, say, a half an acre along a stream to put a riparian up, I'm sorry, a forest buffer in, mm-hmm. that takes away a half acre of production for me, and so uh. you know. But it, that's a false argument. Because yeah, it you, is. Yeah. Because in the
0: long run, it's sustainability.
1: You it know, is for sustainability. This ager, for this
0: agriculture, because in the long term, yeah. you're, we're protecting our planet. Because yeah. one of the things we're seeing is there's so much water pollution, so much pollution, just general pollution. Right. You know, our children, you know, in the future are going to have nothing. We're going to turn into like that movie from WALL-E, where we're all going <laughs> to have to go to outer space while they <laughs> clean Earth down here. Yeah,
1: and the forests actually acts to trap, uh, slow down the water so it can do what uh dr brownley just said the water and its nutrients can then percolate down into Mm. the root zone and be taken up by the trees or if it's close enough to the farmland it can actually be go back into the crops right so it's a it's a win-win right um you know they're getting money the farmers are getting money to do it no cost to them and they're maintaining some productivity by trapping those nutrients on their land
0: which i think is great i think that's one of the theories that we study is that if in order for us to have um Safer practices and in order for us to protect the planet, it has to be enforced by our government. There has to be laws to protect it. There has to be laws that say this is what you have to do because this is safer mm-hmm. and this is going to be, you know, in the long run, better off for whatever you're doing. Um, in your opinion, what do you guys think about the public? Do you think they care? Mm-hmm. Do you think people care now more it is? Or do you think people are like, I'm not doing that because that's too much work? <laughs>
2: I, I would say, so because I teach the younger generation, yes. I can speak more of what I'm seeing from the younger generation, mm-hmm. is that I am seeing a uh, kind of a, a call to action and trying to be more aware Okay. of what's going on, but at the same time unsure of how to proceed forward. What's the best thing that they can do to help to protect our environment? Um, but I, the college that I teach at, is there. most of the students are especially aware of what is going on in our environment it's a very um kind of naturally based college right and so um so the students that i work with are very passionate about it but then also a little overwhelmed by it
1: Mm. and and since i'm old so you you brought up about well you know the uh, agriculture community must do this well the regulations have to be put there, they have to be enforced, but we have to do it in a partnership so that in fact it isn't the big stick all the time. Yes. Although you know it's, I've been doing this now for 35 plus years, uh, I think the big stick is kind of maybe necessary down the road because we're not making progress. Agriculture loads are still very very high and they're the highest of all the sectors in in our watershed. So I think That diplomacy, that partnership, that all the money that you need is being provided, I think we still have to try to work it out so that it becomes part of their culture Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, always, I mean, rather than forcing them. Yes. If we can encourage them. Right. And in Frederick County, where I am, we're actually trying to encourage them to shift from uh, crop production for animal feed to actually food production for local human consumption. Okay. So we're trying to shift the dynamic so that we go from exporting grain, like right. corn, to somewhere for, you know, uh, animal feed, to actually producing local foods. Right. So that we actually, uh, what we found out during COVID is that the food uh, supply network is broken in the U.S.
0: Yeah.
1: And in Frederick County, only three to five percent of our local food is grown in frederick county wow yeah so that means 95 percent or more of of the crop production is being exported so i think what we need to do is try to figure out a diplomatic incentive laden way yeah to shift our farmers towards kind of local food sourcing you know figure out the you know there may be an initial cost associated with that right. shift but we have the resources to right. i mean as a you know, as a nation, we know how valuable our foods are, yeah. and we should just be able to make that transition so it does not um, destroy local uh, economy for the agricultural community. Yes.
0: So, no, I agree. I mean, I think that's amazing. I, the fact that it's only 3 to 5% locally, I mean, yeah. that's that's an eye-opener <laughs> because we have lots of land here in Virginia and in Maryland. We have yeah. the, we have the and like you said, we have the resources to do it. So the fact that we export so much, we yep. import so much, you know, it, it's definitely... Yeah. Um, an eye opener um as someone who's just starting starting to learn about this and I'm trying to be like an active member in my community because now that I know I can't unsee it now that I know what the pollution is going on now that I know what we're doing I, I can't just turn a blind blind eye to it what are your suggestions that I of what I could do to kind of play my part as well as influence those around me
1: Well, I mean, one of the best things to do is remember, there's a great phrase out there. It says, think globally, act locally. Um, And so I was just on a student's uh, defense of a capstone project at the University of Maryland. And basically, her fellow students were saying, using that phrase and saying, well, this is going to fit into that global improvement that we're all looking for because she'd come up with things to help us in Frederick County right what I tried to play back to that student was remember the second half of that phrase act locally so what you could do is in your own home you mm-hmm. can set up policies like you can if you if you have a garden you can actually generate your own compost okay and you don't have to add fertilizers yes uh, you do not need to fertilize a lawn we have to move away from turf Yes. To essentially more. um, It can be still be grasses, but there are grasses that are deep root uh, systems Mm -hmm. by planting plants like deep rooted grasses, turf or natives. The root structure of those is very deep. And what that does is it stimulates the local soil bacteria and, and protozoa. And that acts to actually decompose the breakdown of the plants themselves. So when the fall comes, you know, or the leaves are falling on the ground, or you mow your lawn at four inches of height, not at one.
0: Um, (laughs) We need to tell that
1: to the HOA. uh, I'll bring that up again. Yeah. Uh, But um, when that happens, when that organic matter from the plants falls on the ground, if the soil is healthy with deep-rooted plants and natives, Then they can uh, decompose, just like uh, Dr. Brownlee was talking about, for the bottom of the bay. Those bacteria and protozoa can decompose that organic matter to produce the nutrient, recycle the nutrients from the organic matter back to the plants. That's amazing. And it
0: doesn't take that much from us to just plant this grass or these, you know, native roots and things like that. It's not that much. That's Uh right.
1: And on the HOA issue, Mm. HOAs, at least in Maryland, used to be able to tell you what you could grow and not grow. Right. There's a law in Maryland that's just been passed that HOAs can no longer mandate grass, turf. (laughs) So, in fact, no HOA should now be able to say, oh, your your lawn is not green enough with, you know, fescue grass or whatever it is. The homeowner has the uh, ability now to pick and choose what they want to grow. So, Hi. you know, and hopefully that will lead to kind of a transition uh-huh. uh, across not only an individual HOA and their residences, but all of our communities. So, in fact, we start moving towards plants that are responsible for increasing soil organic matter. Yeah. And, and again, short grass doesn't do it. Yes. Tall grass or native plants, leaves all contribute to the soil uh, regeneration that yeah. provides the nutrients. And I
0: think that's the key word. I think that's one of the things that I've seen a lot while I'm studying you know, this class and getting into environmental ethics is regeneration. We do not allow our planet to regenerate. Right. We take so much from it and then don't give it a chance to give back, to grow back. So I think that's amazing. And so th- was this law in response to...
1: I think it was probably, I don't know the origins, although mm-hmm. we've been pushing through various organizations, mm-hmm. and I can't say I've been pushing there, but a lot of organizations have taken data that we and others have collected to come up with this yeah. uh, law This law that was passed. But the, it's a recognition that, in fact, um, being western westernized uh uh, the you know i want to have my lawn keep up with the joneses right that's a false narrative we should not be thinking that we should be thinking okay what would make it easiest for me and my property to be a productive self-sustaining unit on its own and as a local homeowner or renter if you are in that situation but you're You know, maintaining your own grass or your gardens, you can make sure that that occurs with minimal addition of fertilizer or anything like that. So act locally. HOAs can't control what you do, (laughs) at least in Maryland. I don't know about Virginia. Yeah. But so those are options.
0: No, I think that's, I think those are very good. Those are very feasible. Like we, I can do that. I can plant grass or I can do plants or I can do, you know, just find out what's native to my area Mm -hmm. and do that. I think that's something that we can do. I think a lot of times, people hear about this and they get so overwhelmed and they're like, I don't know where to start. I don't know, forget it, I'm just not gonna do anything. Right. But that's not the right way. Right. So I think small things like that, I mean, make a huge difference. Like you said, mm-hmm. it allows it to regenerate to mm-hmm. help out the water pollution. You know, yeah. I mean that's amazing. Yep. Um man, you guys got some really good info. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff I never really knew. Yeah. yeah, this is amazing. Yeah. Um is there anything I haven't asked that you guys would like to share?
1: Okay, for me, there are a few things, because we've only talked about the bay. Mm-hmm. The whole watershed has problems.
0: Okay, now explain to me, what is a watershed?
1: Okay, so think of the bay as an estuary, so okay. salty. Okay. The water that comes into it is fresh. Okay. No oh, low low salt content, low, okay. low ions. Okay. The Those watersheds are the ones who are receiving the nutrients and the runoff. Okay. So herbicides, nutrients, uh, wastewater that's coming in. So the watersheds are now, or even before the bay, they've experienced this high nutrient input, high herbicide, pesticide input Mm. for a long period of time. So what we've done is we've lost key organisms. Uh, There's a a freshwater darter, a small fish about three inches long. Mm -hmm. It's extinct. It was just ruled extinct in Maryland based on, uh, they can't find them anymore. And water clarity and Mm -hmm. nutrient load is blamed for that. Okay. Uh, we have a native brook trout population um, mm-hmm. that is a two and a half million dollar uh, tourism draw in yeah. Frederick. Um, the brook trout are, um, populations are crashing. And the reason for that is that we as humans consume so much, we generate so much CO2. Mm-hmm. The CO2 goes and creates uh, this blanket around the earth that intensifies heating. Okay. Uh, that heating increases the temperature of our streams and our creeks and the bay, mm-hmm. leading to that squeeze that we were talking about before for the yeah. bay. But for streams, for for brook trout, it's now they need cold, clear water, and now it's warm, wow. turbid. Well, it still can be clear, but it's warm. Yeah. So their habitat now is very gradually but abruptly declining. Wow. So we may lose brook trout as a native trout. We may lose other fishes for the same reasons. Those fishes actually carry, they're the hosts for freshwater bivalves, um, like oysters, but they're clam-like and mussel-like. And they're in the uh, fresh waters all around our watershed. So all the fresh uh, waters that are Mm -hmm. coming into the bay and its tributaries, they're crashing. And they're crashing because, one, dams have prevented the fish Mm -hmm. hosts from coming up so that the the larvae i'm sorry the uh, yeah it must be larvae can't attach to the fish to go up into the fresh waters and it produces
0: dams we do right humans yeah
1: and we're also warming the 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 waters up above so the fish Mm -hmm. have that problem so the dams uh the warmer temperatures and those nutrients are all limiting the uh Increased numbers of these freshwater bivalves and they're very important because they maintain water clarity right in the freshwater areas Yeah, so if we lose the freshwater bivalves, right, it's like losing the oysters in the Chesapeake oh, wow. You know, so the clarity has got to jump up because the filter feeders. Yeah, the, the freshwater yeah. bivalves now are very very low Yeah, so those are you know the brook drought um, The freshwater bivalves are two big ones the darter this little fish that we've just yeah. gone extinct because of human activities so those are the things in the, the freshwater area is not immune for the same right. reasons that the bay is having its problems. So
0: It's a very sensitive ecosystem. You affect what, something as small as one little fish, mm-hmm. and you don't realize how much it affects yeah. everything. And yeah, I we, think that's some yeah. of the things we yeah. fail to see.
1: Yeah, we didn't even talk about the food web. But that,
0: yeah, that yeah, losing the oysters, <laughs> losing
1: the freshwater yeah. bivalves, losing that little fish. Yeah. Is there another fish that's going to do right. function right. what it did? right we don't know that ah. so the other one is this is one that your your group should look at um microplastics
0: yeah what is microplastics
1: okay when you use plastic uh, stuff mm-hmm. like uh bags from the grocery mm. store or wait uh your drink you know your water your water, water, water yeah uh those break down mm-hmm. most people throw them away they yeah. don't recycle them. yep so those break down into very 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 small particles like micrometer in size 10 to the minus 6 meters um, and those very small particles accumulate organic matter so they act like a sponge
0: okay okay
1: and they can actually um, take that and because of the high surface area of Uh a very small particle they are ingested by oysters and other animals that live on the bottom and their fecundity their reproductive capacity goes down
0: Oh, no. because there's
1: all the junk in their bellies right. and you can go on the web actually look at birds yeah. that have you know if you open their gut or turtles that are just cu- uh, yeah. loaded with microplastics yeah so microplastics is the new huge problem area that's coming so yeah and, and that's
0: definitely something our generation struggles with because we like convenience we yeah. like to go right yeah. Yeah. to go containers water on the go food on the go food on the go. i mean everything even if you buy an apple sometimes it's covered in plastic yeah, shrink yeah, wrap. I mean, yeah. like, every... Yeah. yeah, I can see that being a major
1: issue. Yeah. With something so just that, use reusable uh, containers. Containers, yeah. You know, so when you get water, yeah. refill your bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. That's
0: one of the things that I did at the very beginning of this class is um, we had to do an experiment of, you know, giving up something um, in order to, to kind of, like, get a feel for it. So I gave up, like, the use of plastic. Ah. Oh my gosh, yeah. there's plastic in everything. Yep. Um. And I, you know, I invested in like glassware, you know, glass Tupperware and reusable cups and reusable straws and, mm-hmm. you know, and I what you know, I told myself for the sake of the project, I wouldn't use plastic for like three days.
1: <laughs> Holy cow.
0: I had to restart that project three times because <laughs> I didn't even realize it. And I had grabbed a plastic spoon or I had grabbed, you know, something, even like Q-tips, even your makeup products. I mean, all of it. All of it has plastic in it, and we don't realize it, and we consume of it so much daily.
1: Yeah, fortunately, I've cut down on my cosmetic use. Oh, that's (laughs) good. Yeah, and the one thing we didn't talk about is, you know, in the past, we've always talked about pollutants being um, things that are produced by industry. You know, we didn't think of nutrients as pollutants, but they are huge, and the reasons for the Bay having the problems. But there are things called polyaromatic hydrocarbons that are basically... Large organic molecules that are produced uh, from, um, you know, electrical generation, coal oh. fire plants. Um, the Elizabeth River in Virginia had some coal gasification plants as well as wood uh, industry. And wood industry creates creosote. Mm-hmm. You know that smell from your wood stove? Yes. Um, those things accumulated in the sediments and they induced tumors in fishes. And so the fish, and they would sh- uh, cause embryos to abort or be deformed. Oh, no. So here's PAHs, which we've always regarded up until about 30 mm-hmm. years ago uh-huh. as something as a necessity, but the, these, these hydrocarbons cause so much uh, or induce so much damage that we're trying to shift away from their use. The, the worst case of it recently is that in freshwater environments, the smallmouth small bass populations of the upper Potomac
0: uh-huh.
1: are, have been enriched so much with those PAHs in endocrine-disrupting compounds. So <laughs> Say that think three of times. That as, <laughs> Think of that as birth control pills uh, or, okay. or, or um, byproducts from uh, hand soaps, okay. etc. When those compounds go into the water, they induce intersex in fish. And that means males now have oocytes. They're act, They have female reproductive. Oh organs. gosh. So there's yeah can't reproduce. That's right. And so we have uh, populations of smallmouth bass now that are basically in some parts of the upper Potomac. Eighty percent have intersex. Oh so my So you know we don't know the overall population problems yet yeah. from that. But if they are truly non-reproductive, it's a major threat to you know, that that fish. And that's a key, keystone species in food transport yeah. in the watershed. So here's a case where PAHs are normal byproducts of kind of our higher class living, you mm-hmm. know, right. you know as Westerners. Yeah. These things are accumulating sediments and causing huge problems, and it's only going to get worse. Oh, my God. So, anyway.
0: Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, so and this, this is the type of information that we need to. I think we need to discuss more and get out there because um, we have to think about this. You know, this is the planet that we're going to give to our children and to our grandchildren. Is this really the planet that we want to hand them? Yeah. You know, is this really what we want to leave them? Yeah. So I mean, that's fascinating. Yeah. We could do like a whole podcast series with you. <laughs> 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 this is amazing. Um, before I close it out, I mean, anything you guys want to? Um, I
2: would. I'd like to end on a positive (laughs) note, but actually, what I was kind of gonna say is, I grew up being told that things were changing, right? But I didn't think I would ever see it in my lifetime, right? But I have seen it in my lifetime, and I've seen it very fast. And Mm. um, can
0: you give me an example of something that you've seen?
2: Oh, just I mean, our I would say our warming waters and our Mm. changing weather patterns. Yes. And our longer warmer summers and our actually our warmer winters. Winters, is what yeah. I'm seeing more of. Yeah. And um and so for me I didn't think when I was younger that I'd actually see this. See, and mm-hmm. I, I am definitely seeing it and but but also I guess I tell myself that even doing the little things. Right. You know, I can, what can I do? Right. Because the whole idea of it is very overwhelming. Yes. But I think about what can I do right. on a daily basis. Right. It doesn't have to be perfect. But can I do something to help my environment? Right. Um, and so I just try to ask myself these things. And right. so that's what I would recommend. Mm-hmm. Just what just can I things. simply do? Right. Yes.
0: Give up some of our little conveniences. We yeah. can, re, you know, get reusable bags and refill our water bottles and recycle what we do have, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. Absolutely. It's the little things. Man, thank you guys so much, Dr. Sure. Brownlee, Dr. Sunler. This has been Amazing. Thank you guys so much for your knowledge um Thank you for, having us. for this interview. I really really appreciate you too. Well, awesome. All Thank right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.